This morning, we're continuing in our series in the book of Revelation. Our series has been called Blessed. Why? Because the book of Revelation tells us that that's the purpose of the book. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, it simply says, the one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear it and keep it are blessed. And blessed is he who heeds this book. So it starts with, you're blessed if you know this, you're blessed if you understand it and hear it and keep it, and you're blessed if you keep it and heed it. Like it's, that's the point of the book is, hey, God has a real desire to show you the blessing of having a relationship with him, a blessing of knowing what the world's about, a blessing of knowing what the purpose of life is. That's what the book's about, that there's an end coming and we don't have to be hopeless. As a matter of fact, we can be very happy because the word blessed actually means in the Greek, happy. That's what it means. It means like a joy and a happiness that's like, yes, I'm, I'm happy to know that when the end comes, I, uh, there's something more, that it's not the end. And, and that's really the purpose of John writing this book. It's why God had John write this book. When John wrote it, we know he was in a place. He was exiled to an island because he would continue to preach the gospel even though they tried to kill him numerous times. And finally they said, fine, we'll, we'll put you on an island, the island of Patmos with a bunch of criminals and sick people to, to just keep you away from influencing the culture and, and telling people about the reality of the Roman Empire not being all that it's cracked up to be. And so we want to put you off on this island and get you out of here and it was there that this book was revealed, and then John ended up taking the book. When he became the pastor at Ephesus, he was off the island, went back to Ephesus, and then we have this book in our hands, written. When John wrote the book, you have to remember that as he's describing things in the book, he's trying to come up with descriptions for things that he doesn't know how to describe. It'd be like if someone from the 1800s, we showed them a car, or we showed them some of the modern technology, a phone that we have. How would they describe that using their language and their culture to describe something they'd seen? It'd be very difficult for them, and it would seem very simple. And so you have to remember that when John is writing this, he's seeing things unfold. He's watching it happen, and he's trying to write as fast as he can and put this down. That's why it can be kind of not clear sometimes as we read the book. Also remember that when Jesus was leaving the earth and his disciples were wondering, hey, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore the blessing, the kingdom to Israel? You're finally going to come back and make everything right and bring all the promises of the Old Testament. You're going to fulfill everything. Is, is this now the time? This is after Jesus was resurrected. He had been walking around the earth for over 40 days. And they're like, now is it time? And Jesus looks at them and he says to them, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons the Father has set by his own authority. You're not going to know the time. You can know kind of and see things and get a, a glimpse like John is writing kind of a picture, a glimpse of what he's seeing, but he can't take it all in. He can't take everything in that he's watching, right? But, but we can get kind of a picture of how it's going to happen. And so again, with the book of Revelation, everybody wants to get caught up and you can know this and charts and graphs and is it... Are we in the tribulation? Is the tribulation over? Is the tribulation coming? All these very fancy theological words that I'm not going to use much as we walk through this book. 
There's plenty of people you can read and study. I'm trying to get you to, and help you to see that this book is really about understanding that there is a blessing from God, a happiness that we can find that can't be found anywhere else, especially in the midst of a world that just seems like it's all chaos right now. And Jesus goes on to say, so no, you won't know the exact times or periods, but he says, I promise you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. The power to be my witnesses, to be my martyrs is the word there, to, to make me known regardless of the cost because you know that the cost doesn't last. It, it, there's a new birth coming, there's a new body coming, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth coming. And so you can be my witnesses because you're not scared of anything. You're not worried about the world around you and you can do that right where you live in Jerusalem. You can go from there to the area you live in, like the state or United States, to Judea, to Samaria, which means other people not like you, other cultures, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus says. That's what you're going to be doing. And so always remember that that is Jesus' last words to his disciples in bodily form on the earth, and then later gives John the book of Revelation to give us kind of a glimpse and a hope and a blessing. This morning... Here's what I want you to think about. As we look at the next chapter in chapter 6 of Revelation, well, sorry, let me back up. These are the four ones we've been through so far. Read, hear, and keep. Listen, repent to be victorious. After this, come and look. And then lastly, last week, Jimmy did a great job talking about how worthy, and we sang that this morning, that worthy is the Lamb. This morning, here's the question comes straight from the passage we're going to read this morning in chapter 6. Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand before the power, majesty, glory, honor, authority of God Almighty? Who is able to stand before someone with such incredible might and power? Who, who's able to stand? See, that's really the question, and that's the question of all religions of the world. All religions of the world take whatever God they believe in, creator or God's plural, and they're trying to tell people, this is how you'll be able to stand the life you live and stand living, how you can stand it. And this is how you'll be able to stand before God one day if you obey all these rules and do all these things. That's what all religion is based on. All religion is based on trying to get people to see how you can make it in life, how you can stand and make it through life, and trying to get people to see how do we stand before God one day at the end of life. And by the way, the majority of people have believed in religion for all of human history, except recently. And even recently, it's not very much of the world's population that doesn't believe in a God. Most of the world, an overwhelming amount, into the 90% of the world believe in some type of God or creator or deity that's out there. They may not care to know anything else than that, but most people in the, in the heart of humans, there's this idea that there's a God. And so then the question comes, if there is a God, what is he like and how do I stand and how has he created the world and how do I know how to live? That's really the question before us. And what we've looked at in the first five chapters of Revelation is John has painted a picture of the throne room of heaven. In chapter 6, there's a turning point. Chapters 6 through 18 are the controversial chapters of the book of Revelation. Chapters 1 through 5, not controversial. Chapters 19 through 22, not controversial. 
the most controversial books in the, some of the most controversial passages in the Bible that we argue about as Christians are chapters 6 through 18 of Revelation, 12 chapters of the Bible that drive us nuts. Why? Because when Jesus says you're not to know the times or periods the Father has set by your own authority, we spend all kinds of time trying to figure out how 6 through 18, we can know all the times and periods the Father has set by his own authority. So be careful as we go into this section. And I'm going to try to paint a picture of what is going on. Because in chapter 6, now the throne room of heaven is seen. And now John is beginning to write about the final judgment that's coming. And chapter 6 through 18 are the finality of God's judgment being poured out on the world. It's over. And those are some of the scariest verses when you read them. But they shouldn't be. They should be some of the most confirming and confident verses for us as believers. This should bring us more joy than anything else, which we'll see in just a minute. And we left last week in chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and dominion, to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen is, so be it. That's what the word means. Yes, it, it is this way, so be it, absolutely. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The elders couldn't stand in the presence of the majesty of their God. These elders that were, had thrones, 24 thrones around Jesus when his glory is fully seen, all they can do is bow and say, wow, you're incredible. That's the beauty of this, but they don't stay bowing. And so let me ask you this, when, when you see and hear about the blessing and honor and glory of God, do you say like they do, amen, so be it, I'm so excited? Or do you, like I often do, say, okay, well, but... You know, sure, you have all blessing and authority and power, but I'm not experiencing that. I don't see that. Seems like things are hard here for me. In heaven, there's no argument. And what's getting ready to unfold over the next several chapters is really rough. It's brutal. And they're worshiping. Because they're like, finally, no more will there be anybody against the Lamb and the beauty and the glory of God. This is the moment we've all been waiting for, God says. And so do you surrender your authority? Do you surrender your definition of blessing, honor, and glory to God and say amen to him? Or do you, like me and so many others, say, well, but? Or okay, if that's the way it has to be. Or do you truly get excited about the fact that this is going to happen one day. And this can be happening in your heart every day as you walk through life. You give him his honor, blessing, and glory and power. So one of the things you need to realize is that the four Gospels tell the story of the life of Christ. But it's interesting because one-third of the Gospels focus upon just the last week. That's it. So like the majority of the Gospel writings is on seven days of Jesus' life. They detail it, they lay it out. 
Also in Revelation, 13 of the 22 chapters of this book relate to a very small period of time which constitutes the end of the history of the age. It's like that, that chunk is, is consumed by the book. It's like God has all glory and power and authority in chapters 1 through 5. Then there's this third, you know, chapter 6 through 18. And then all of a sudden you jump to 19 through 22 and it ends with he's got all power and glory and everything's made new. It's kind of the same way that God takes these moments because he wants to make it clear to us what's happening. So let's dive in. 6-1. Then I saw the lamb open one of the seven seals. Remember, we read in chapter 5 that the scroll was brought out, that heaven was weeping. John wept and said, who is worthy to open the scroll? And they said, the lamb is worthy, the one that paid the price, the one that didn't try to get all the blessings of this earth, who didn't try to stand before the world and say, here I am, I'm Jesus, do what I tell you to do, but the one that said, I'm Jesus, here I am, and we crucified him. That's the one who's worthy to open the scrolls. And so now the judgment starts and the first judgment, the first seal is broken and the first mandate is coming from the king that's been written down. Here it is. Here's the mandate. Seal's broken. No going back now. The mandate's going to be read. It's going out across the empire. There are glimpses of this in the Old Testament. If you remember when the prophet Daniel who was a faithful servant to two, to three wicked kings, right? He, he served the Babylonian king and the Persian king with his life because God stuck him in a foreign land like we're stuck in a foreign land. If you remember, one of the kings, Darius, was tricked. He was deceived. We'll see that in a minute. He was deceived into making an edict that said anybody that prayed or worshipped anybody but Darius was to be thrown into the lion's den. And he wrote an edict and he sealed it. And it went out. And when it went out, Daniel was like, I can't stop praying and I'm going to pray publicly. And so Daniel went out on his balcony to pray and it was all a trap. They were all setting him up and they saw Daniel. They came back to Darius and they said, Daniel's praying to somebody other than you. And Darius, it clicked for him. He thought, oh no, I've been trapped. But I can't go back on my edict as a king. An edict is an edict. A seal is a seal. I can't go back. And so he tells Daniel, I have to throw you in the lion's den. I don't want to have to do this judgment on you, but I don't have a choice because of the authority of the king. This isn't about me and you having a relationship. There's an, a Persian authority that's bigger than both of us that I have to submit to and you have to submit to. And so I've got to throw you in the lion's den. But Daniel, I am praying your God spares you. Now Daniel's got the king who said you should be killed to pray, praying for him and to his God. Only God could do that, right? I mean, how ironic. The king's like, well, fine, I'll pray to your God. Nobody can kill me. Like, and he's praying to Daniel's God for his safety. And God miraculously delivers Daniel out of the hands of the lions. And then the king makes a new edict on behalf of Daniel's God. See, it's amazing how God works things that we think this is so awful. This judgment's coming. Daniel's not going to be able to stand and pray. He's not, he's going to get thrown in the line. We see all this terrible and behind the scenes, God's like, I got it. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly why I'm putting you through this. I know exactly why I'm doing all of this. You don't see it yet, but I'm telling you, you will on the other side someday. 
And God got a Persian king who was saying he was a God and pray to him to say, I'm now praying to Daniel's God and everybody else has to too. Only God can do that. We can't do it with enough of our righteousness and everything else. And only God could make a king stand before a nation who just said, pray to me and say, I'm done with that. Pray to Daniel's God, to the whole empire. He says, then I saw a lamb. Daniel was willing to be the slaughtered lamb, to be thrown to the lions on behalf of his God. He said, I saw a lamb open one of the seven seals. This is the beginning, and what we're going to see over the next several seals is a very common pattern. All the references that we see in the seals that are broken are all things that are already happening among us right now, and they continue through human history to cycle back through. It's a constant cycle that you're going to see in these seals that are broken, right? So you're going to see this cycle that's talked about. Daniel talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Uh, Jesus talks about it. We'll see in Matthew 24. He lays this out. And a phrase that I've used a lot, I don't remember where I picked it up, is the idea of the already but not yet. That, That we're already being judged. God is already laying the foundation and doing what he does, but it's not fully yet. This moment in chapter six is the fully yet. You're going to see a pattern of how we see these things happening on a regular basis in our culture, these seals being broken, these things happening. But the ultimate seal, the ultimate like no return, the seal's been opened, we're not going back. There's no cycle anymore. We're coming to the end of the cycle permanently forever is what happens when the seal is open. But you're going to see patterns that we get sucked into. And God is giving this warning, I believe, in Revelation because he wants us to understand the patterns we get trapped in. So that we have hope before this comes to repent and get back on track with him. Because there's going to come a day when this seal's opened and it's over. And we're heading down a road where it's just going to be nothing but the end coming and the destruction of the earth. Now you say, well, that just sounds terrible. Why would, why would God open the seal? Why don't Jesus just keep the seal closed? That's kind of mean. Just, just put that away. Put that scroll in a cabinet and just keep going. Because we don't understand how desperately we need the seals to be broken. We, we need this. The world needs this. Creation, the Bible says, is groaning for this. Everything around us, my body groans for a new body every day, Right? Like our world is groaning for something to be made right permanently. And John is laying that out for us so we can have hope and understand how to be happy in the midst of watching all these seals being broken and wondering what is going to happen. And we don't find our joy in all these circumstances. We find it in the lamb who's opening the seals. That's the joy. Not the seal. It's the lamb. It's the one we're looking at. That's the key. So he goes on and he says, And I heard one of the four living creatures, those are the creatures around the throne that declare this, say with a voice like thunder, come. This this has been repeated over and over. They keep saying, come, 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 right? Come, John, come, like, come look. There's an excitement. There's a, come on, come on, let's see this. Come on, you got to see this. There's this excitement that's happening all the way through the book of Revelation where God's like, come, I'm inviting you to see what's happening. I want you to understand what God is doing in and around us. I want you to see his faithfulness. I want you to see who he is. 
It's this excitement. Like we went on the retreat. It's this excitement of like, oh, I get to go. I get to come. And then you leave and you're like, oh, I got to go back. You know, and I know what's coming. But we're supposed to be excited about going back too. He says, I heard one of the four living creatures come. I looked. Again, it's this come and look. Come and look. And there was a white horse. And the horseman on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he went out as a victor to conquer. A lot of scholars debate on who this writer is. Is this Jesus? Probably not, because Jesus is the guy sitting on the throne opening scrolls. <laughs> it's probably not Jesus, right? Now, he comes later on a white horse. like He comes later in the book of Revelation, but this time, it's probably not him. There's some scholars who believe that this probably isn't even like necessarily a, a super righteous person. This could even be the Antichrist or Satan that's being given authority. He's been given, a crown is just a symbol of authority to reign. I'm putting you out on the earth. Here's the thing about this when you look at it though. The thing you have to remember when you look at this passage is he's given a bow with no mention of arrows. The Bible talks about arrows a lot. A matter of fact, when you put on the armor of God, God says you need to take up the shield of faith to extinguish the arrows, the fiery arrows of the enemy. So this guy is given, whoever he is, whatever he is, all the debates, God didn't tell us who he is. So he, you can spend your whole life speculating. God's like, you don't know, you're not gonna know. Just accept there's a writer and he's got a bow and a crown. This guy has been given authority, this Person, this th has been given authority. So the world is going to see him as a crowned person with authority and with a bow in his hand. But they don't realize that he's powerless because he doesn't have any arrows. That's key when you look and understand what's going on here. Because he's actually going to go out to conquer and he's not even going to have to fire a single shot. Everybody will just surrender to him. He will be so deceptive and so good at deceiving. He's going to look like he's got all authority. He's going to look like he's got a bow and I'm going to take you out. And the world, when this writer comes, will be like, well, we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get taken out. We don't want to stand up to him. So let's just all go along. Because he's got a bow and he's scary and he's got a crown. And oh, oh, we, we don't want anything bad to happen to us. We enjoy our life. We like what we have. And we don't want anybody to take it. That's this writer. So the first writer that goes out is deception. He's deceiving. He looks like he's the king. He looks like he's the one that's going to come. He's not. He's bringing judgment. This isn't Jesus on a white horse, the king, bringing life. This is a guy on a horse preparing death. There's a difference. This is the great deceiver who's coming, looking like the one, but has no real power to do anything. And everybody ends up surrendering to him. How do we know this? Write down somewhere in your Bible that whenever you read this passage, whenever you're reading Revelation, you need to go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus actually lays all of this out almost exactly in order in the 24th chapter of Matthew to warn his disciples. It's right there. It's so cool when you see it. Isaiah and Daniel also laid many of this out. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. When his disciples are asking, 
when will these things happen? His disciples come to him and they say, hey, when are all these crazy end time things going to happen? That's what they're asking. And what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? How are we going to know it's you and not somebody else? Then Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I got the crown, I got the white horse, I got the bow, I'm the Messiah, but they will deceive many. This first writer is the writer of deception. Telling lies, deceiving, and people are buying into it because we're so much more afraid of losing what we have than understanding what God's guaranteed and promised we'll have forever. And we buy hook, line, and sinker into it. The world's going to buy into this writer. That's exactly how it's laid out. Because remember, these seals are judgments. Judgments coming. So that's the first seal and the first writer. Second Thessalonians, Paul says it this way. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, he says. The already but not yet. So this mystery that there's an end coming and the lawlessness is going to come and all this, he says, it's already happening, just not yet. But the one who is now restraining will do so until he is out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. And with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. You know, it's amazing to me. We sang this morning about the holiness and the righteousness and the majesty of God. And then we sang about the love of God. That's Paul here. It's both. It's understanding that God says, I want you to know the truth about me, and I want you to know the full truth. My wrath, my justice, and my incredible mercy and grace and love that I extend. I don't change. And God says, that's the only way to be saved. There's no other way to be saved but embracing the truth about God and the love of God and bringing all of it together and saying, you're God, we're not you're everything, that's how to be saved. There's no other way. He goes on to say this, Paul does. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion. This is that first writer. A strong delusion so they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but enjoyed unrighteousness. There should be two S's there. But enjoyed unrighteousness. You know what always amazes me for most of you in this room that I know? You don't enjoy unrighteousness. I mean, sure, it feels good in the moment you're doing it. But as a pastor, what I've seen throughout my ministry and life is those that know Christ, they don't enjoy unrighteousness long-term. It's short-lived. Why? Because they have the truth in them. They're not deluded and if you keep coming back to the Savior for love and forgiveness and repentance, you haven't been deluded. That's called a Christian. That's called God's people throughout the whole Bible. That's you recognizing, I don't want to be deluded. I participated in unrighteousness and it's killing me and I want to be different. Praise the Lord. That's the sign that you're not, this writer, this first writer hasn't gotten you yet. That this beautiful 
That's what God says. And so he says, look, just know that this is the plan, that this deception, God's going to, the first thing he's going to do is God's just going to withdraw the truth and say, have at it. Believe what you want to believe. Do we not see that in our day today? Where it just seems like God's just disappearing and people are just doing whatever they want? Listen, that's not a new thing. It's happened throughout all times of history. But in this scenario, he says there's no turning back. There won't be another revival. There won't be another big repentance. He goes on and he says in Revelation 6.3, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Listen, all of these creatures are inviting humanity into the relationship and the reality of God. It's not, they're coming to get you. That's not what they're saying. They're not saying, get ready here. They're just saying, no, you come. Come and see this. You'll be blessed if you understand that you're not going to, these horses aren't for you. For you is to come and see the reality of what's going on so that you can have hope and bring hope to other people. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one. And its horseman was empowered to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another and a large sword was given to him. Now you have to remember when it says a large sword was given to him, in this day, the major weapon of war in this time period was the sword. That was the way, the Roman sword was the scariest thing. They were expert swordsmen. It was the military battle, hand-to-hand combat, when you have to get troops on the ground. You can shoot, you know, the catapult and drop in bombs, but eventually the troops have to go in and go door-to-door and say, are you going to surrender to the Romans? No, you're dead. Are you going to surrender to the Romans? No, you're dead. It, it, it always boils down to close, intimate, hand-to-hand combat. All the time. Throughout every war in human history, that's the way it always goes down. Why? Because you can bomb somebody and make them really mad, and three generations later, they come back and kill you. You you can destroy them, but if there's survivors left, and you give them time to recoup, they're coming back with a vengeance, and because of all you did to them, they're going to annihilate you. He goes on and he says, like he he says all this, and he says, look, he's empowered to take peace from the earth. Here's the great part. When when you first start with a delusion and you start with a false peace and you say, just submit to me, I'm going to take you out. Okay, we just got to keep the peace. We got to keep the peace. That's God taking his peace. Duh, the second seal is peace is taken away because you believe the delusion. So now there's no peace for you. You're just scared all the time. Like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. And is this? And ah, uh, ah, uh, eh, ah. Uh. He says, I'm going to take it. And then what happens when peace is gone? This, listen, this is the progression that always happens in all cultures and governments throughout history. When the peace starts to be taken away and everybody's living in fear, then everybody has a toilet paper shortage, a peanut butter shortage. I got to go get mine because I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. And now everybody's at war with each other, beating each other up in Walmart. We see this happen. We've seen this happen in our day. It's the same pattern. He's like, then the second rider's going to come, and he's just going to take any peace. And so everybody's just going to turn on one another. There's just going to be anarchy. And then once there's anarchy, then governments are going to have to raise up and squash people to bring order. 
It's just going to, this is the process that it starts. Again, look at what Jesus says. He follows this same pattern. So he just read where he talks about the delusion. Next he says in verse 5, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. Already, but not yet. We're in chapter 6, we're open the seal, but we got all the way to chapter 18. Not yet. And then he says, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Because the peace has been taken away. Jesus is laying this out in Matthew 24. It is what, what John's following again when he writes Revelation. It's a beautiful picture. And the word for slay there actually means slaughter. And it's more a reference to anarchy and civil war than it is to actually nation against nation. So he says he's going to slay first and then the other war is going to come. Next says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. Again, the invitation to come. Don't be afraid. Come, see what God is doing. This is what you've been longing for. There is a reason why romance movies and revenge movies are the movies our culture constantly runs to. Men love revenge movies. The power of the one guy, the equalizer, the hero, who's going to take everybody out. And women typically lean towards that romantic, the guy, who's going to save and come and give me the love I'm looking for. Come. You can't find that now anymore in this world. you got to come to me. It's the only place you're going to find it. I'm the ultimate bridegroom and lover. I'm the ultimate king, Jesus says. Will you come? All of this is trying to get people's attention, which we'll see in a minute. And he said, and I looked, and there was a black horse. So we had a white horse, a red horse, now black horse. The horseman on it had a set of scales in his hand. And I heard something like the voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the olive oil and the wine. What in the world is this? It's real simple. A denarius was an entire day's wages. See, because once you lose the peace and there's civil war and now you can't make products because everybody's warring against each other, then what happens is inflation takes off. And now your entire day's labor is going to be spent on just having enough wheat, one thing of wheat to have enough bread to survive another day, and that's all you're going to get. But you know what's great? The rich people still get their wine and olive oil. It's a disparity between the rich and the poor. The rich are going to have their wine and their olive oil and enjoy their parties and enjoy the oil and the, and the beauty because the oil is the sign of blessing. Oh, yeah, they're, they're going to have that, but all the rest of you, yeah, you're going to be under their thumb just trying to figure out how you can get enough wheat for the day in this pattern. Jesus goes on and he says, hey, there will be famines. There's going to be famines. And normally famines happen throughout all of human history because of bad government. Almost every time you see a famine, you see bad rulers. Almost every single time. Rulers that tax too much, rulers that take land. That is almost always how famines happen in the world. They didn't prepare. They didn't store up. Do you remember a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament who advised his king about the fact that he might want to plan for a coming famine 
Seven years of plenty will lead to seven. And the king listened to Joseph and said, oh, you can run my storehouses and save up. And you know what happened? The entire world came under the great Pharaoh to come get grain. Pharaoh listened to God's prophet in Joseph and was blessed. And Joseph was able to bring his family and his people and the promised people into Egypt so they could multiply and fulfill the promise of God for all of human history. Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. This is the pattern. So how are you going to be able to stand? How am I going to eat? How am I going to live? Don't worry about it. Your body's going to die anyway. Maybe this is just the time. Yeah, but what about everybody else? Well, you better ask him if they know about Jesus. Come and look. Come and look. I know why this is happening. I know what's coming someday. I know how you can get ready. Well, yeah, but that doesn't help me right now. Right now is really short. 70 years is really small compared to eternity. So I get that now is important. And you should ask God. And I get all that. But this is the normal pattern. He goes on in the next passage. And he says, he opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come. Again, I invite you. God is inviting us to come before him, to stand and see what he's doing. God's like, I'm going to make you able to stand and understand and see what's happening. And he says, come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Jason's wearing his pale green horse shirt today. Um, He joked about that earlier. And then the horseman on it was named Death and Hades was following after him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. Remember, we're at a point where there's bad rulers. We're at a point where there's deception. Nobody knows what's true. There's a point where we don't have food, and now there's a guy with their swords and war. So yes, this would be the pattern. And do you want to know why he says his name is death and Hades follows after him? It's because... That's what's happened throughout all of human history. You die, and then you go before the throne of judgment for the second death to decide whether you go to heaven or Hades. Jesus is saying there's coming a time when you're going to die and have to stand before God Almighty. Death is coming for all of us, but it's specifically coming now because I'm opening these seals, and this is happening quickly. This stuff's going on fast. It's like coming at you. And he says a fourth of the world's population is going to be killed. A fourth. That's like pushing towards two billion people. Or two trillion, right? No, billion. Two billion. Two billion people getting wiped out. How are they going to die? Sword, famine, plague, and wild animals. That kind of covers everything. Yep. People are going to die normal ways. By normal patterns, the way they always die, it's just going to be a lot of them at one time. Oh, this is already happening. We already have people dying like crazy from all different kinds of diseases. We just ignore it. We get excited about one thing. Like, oh, this one's the killer. No, all this is going on all the time. Romans says this. Well, before I get to Romans, why would God allow all of this to happen? Why would he, see at this point, the rich are also included in the death toll. They don't get a pass. See, before this, the rich still got their oil and wine. When this seal's broken, all of humanity's in trouble. Nobody gets a pass. 
A quarter is dying, and then more are going to die later, and then eventually everyone's wiped out except those who know the Lamb. That, that's the book of Revelation. And so literally, this is, okay, you thought rich people, you were getting by, and you were in authority, and you were using everybody. Now there's something you can't avoid. And we see these patterns all the time. That was COVID. Rich people can't avoid COVID. You're going to get it. What are you going to do? Hide out? You can't long enough. Eventually, you have to be back out in the world. Like, these are just normal patterns, but this is on a whole nother level. So then you have to ask the question, why would God do this? Why would a loving, caring, wonderful, glorious God want to kill a quarter of the population? Thankfully, Paul answered that for us. He answered it clearly. We just don't like the answer a lot of times. There is no other way for God to get your attention than by these things. Would you go to work if you had free food and free housing? Like literally. I mean, would you really be committed to your work and really want to go and really put in the time and do everything? Or would you rather just hang out with your friends and your family and like do fun stuff? Or take the stuff you know at work and like make it for you and not serve anybody else, just serve me because I'm smart and I want to do all the stuff that I want to do only in my own authority. I don't have to submit to anybody. There is no other way God can get humans' attentions throughout history without making it really bad for us. Because if things are going well, we automatically assume God's for us. He's happy with me. Instead of assuming writer one deceived us and we're in the midst of deception and we might want to ask, are we being deceived and happy or are we actually being righteous and happy? I might want to check with God on that one. Because there are going to be a lot of very happy, earthly people that stand before death in Hades and they're wiped out. And they will not have eternity. Jesus said it's, hard, it's harder for a rich man to, to go to heaven than it is for Campbell to pass through the eye of a needle. Is it impossible? Nope, God can do it. God's in charge of matter. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> he can make rich people go to heaven. The problem is when you're trusting in all these other things, and then, so here's, why, here's what Paul says is the issue. Paul, in Romans 1, one of the greatest doctrinal books of the New Testament, Romans. He says, therefore, because of all that God has done, because of all that Jesus is, Paul lays out in that first part, because of who Jesus is and what he wants to see happen in the world, therefore, because they wouldn't respond to God, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. God's like, God, God will give you what you want. He will give you what you want. He will. He'll say, fine, if that's what you want, here you go. It's the story of the prodigal son. Right? The father gives the son his inheritance. Says, oh, you think I'm dead? Fine. I'm dead to you. Here's your inheritance. Have a nice life. I'll be here. Sends the son off. And the son goes and he squanders everything and is now feeding pigs as a Jew, which would have been awful, and thinking, and he's eating the slop of the pigs just to survive. He's that, that far gone. Right? That far gone. And wakes and comes to his senses and says, my father's slaves are treated better than this. 
I'm going to go home and just ask my father if I can be a slave because I've squandered the inheritance. There's no way he's going to want me to be a son again. There's no way he's even going to let me step foot on his property. There's no way I even have the right, but I am so desperate. I don't care. I'm going to him. I'm coming to him to see what his response is. And it says the father had been looking for him every day, pulls up his robe, and goes out running to his son and tackles him. That's the picture of our God. But if the son would have just kept staying out there, eventually the farmer's got to take responsibility to protect the land and to make things right. And if his son would have died in that, he would have never been restored to his father. That's exactly what we do. We exchange the truth of who God is in his wrath and his justice and we exchange his grace and his mercy and we twist it and we allow the enemy to twist it and we're afraid of all these things happening and we panic and all this stuff. Then the enemy's got us. He lays out four forms of death, by the way, too. He lays out the form of death of the sword, that's war, by famine, which we know happens all the time, by plagues that happen and and the wild animals that come along and now they're just attacking people because they're starving too and now they're eating people. Paul goes on to say, and they worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. In other words, they found an idol to give them the hope and the blessing they were looking for in life. This is why God delivered them over to the degrading passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God to come, to stand before him and allow God, they delivered, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. In all of those times, God is saying, I'm delivering you over to what you want. Here's what you want. Here's what you want. Here's what you want. Okay, here's what you want. Do you want me yet? Nope. Okay, here's what you want. You want me yet? Okay, here's what you want. It's what he just keeps doing until finally we wake up and go, I don't want anything else but you. I'm done. I just want you. Nothing else is going to satisfy. I keep chasing everything. And so God has to bring this judgment because there's no other way to get people to repent. People don't repent, don't change, and don't accept Christ when things are going great. We don't. It's always because of a crisis. And if we truly accept God, then we accept the fact that he really does want us to come and see and stand in his presence because he loves us. Remember when John was ushered up into heaven when you read the first part of the book and he said, I saw a vision and the great white throne and he fell as a dead man and Jesus reaches out his hands and says, John, don't be afraid. Come, stand, come look. You gotta see this. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus said this, or I'm sorry, the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar people slaughtered. So the four horsemen come. They bring the devastation and the death. And in the midst of that devastation and death, there are people that were persecuted. There are people that were warning about what was going on. They were telling about the cycles and warning people about what was coming. So he opened the fifth seal because, see, once you have all this plagues and death and the church is serving people and they're dying because they're treating the sick and they're getting sick and the church is being the church in the world, laying down their lives, giving up their lives, well, then what do you do with all those righteous people who die in all this mess? Fifth seal. 
I saw under the altar people slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony they had. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? Pause for a moment. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. That's in the already but not yet. This is the fully yet. And when you get to the fully yet, this is the prayer of heaven. It's done. You are pouring out your judgments. There's no more time to repent. People can't repent anymore. It's, it's all going down. This is terrible. So God, please bring your justice. Please bring your justice. Do you realize that there's such a longing in us for justice? For things to be made right and just? We have it in us. It's, it's a part of our DNA. It's a part of like when we're a, someone offends us, we're like, that's not right. Well, that's judgmental for you to say that. How, how do you know what's right? How do you? Because it's not. Based on what? And so he goes on and he says, look, the one who is holy and true, he's saying, how much longer till we have to wait till justice is brought for what's happened to my wife, my children? to my friends. Like, I understand why you haven't brought it yet because those murderers like Paul are still repenting, but they're not repenting anymore. It's time to be done. So a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. See, the people that when this stuff is going down, when the deception's going down, and the sword's coming, and the plagues, and the famines, the people that stand and take a stand for Christ and say, I'm not, you're not going to make me afraid, I'm not, I'm not participating in this madness, I'm going to declare the glory of God, I'm going to trust Him, that doesn't mean you say, there's no such thing as a plague, it's not happening. Yeah, there's a such thing as a plague. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Lots of people died from COVID, it wasn't fake. Like, we're to be the ones that are like, I know that I've been clothed in white before God Almighty and that he's going to say stand and I'm going to stand before him and be put on display. These are the faithful ones. And I know that if I do that in the world, they're not going to be able to stand it. And there's going to be a price to pay. And Jesus, or the, um, then the one who is holy and true, responds back and says to them, how much longer? Let me ask you, what's something right now that you're struggling to stand in? That you just want to quit? I just want to be done. I'm sick of standing. I'm sick of fighting. I'm tired of these plagues and this war and these problems, and I'm just done. A little while longer. Just a little while. You've been clothed in white if you know Jesus. He, he wants you to stand and to come and see. And he just looks at you and says, just a little while longer. Hold on. Like, like get around your other elders. They'll help you. Like, just hold on. Just a little while longer. It's worth it. I'm, I promise. The rest of the book's coming. Like, I promise it's worth it. Just, just a little while longer. You can stand. You can stand. Just a little while longer. 
This is what Jesus said. Again, following Matthew, the same pattern. Jesus says, Then they will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense. They will betray one another and hate one another. Jesus robes all the ones under the throne, and he says, none of you are going to betray each other. You're all on the same page, standing before me, worshiping, ready to go. Like, there's no betrayal here. There's no turning back here. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because of lawlessness will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. You're going to be brought out, given a robe, and put on display. There's a faithful one right there. Does that mean you were perfect the whole time? Nope. No. Then you'd have no need for the grace of God. (laughs) Then he goes and he says, this good news, this good news that people need to hear and the good news that you Christians need to hear of why is this going so badly? Why is this difficult? Because it's normal. Like you should rejoice, be happy. Like we're supposed to be happy if we're treated like Christ. That's what the apostles said. When they were beaten, they were like, we just consider it joy that they look at us and see Jesus. Praise the Lord. They beat us just like he did. I wonder if they're going to crucify us too. That'd be cool. Like that's their thought process. Then he says, the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. No little while longer, the end will come, he says. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. And a violent earthquake occurred. So now you've already got problems on top of problems on top of problems. And now, not just is like their plagues and swords, which are human problems, now creation itself is giving you problems. So these plagues and everything else are typically most plagues and famines and wars happen because of the selfishness of humanity. That's how it all spreads and happens, right? Here he's saying now creation itself is turning its back on humanity. And he says, I saw him open the sixth seal and a violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth and fig tree, and as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by high wind. I mean, this is like meteors coming down, crazy stuff. And he says, the sky separated like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. You realize that we know this has happened before in human history, according to science. It's called plate tectonics. That at some point, scientists believe that the world was all connected, and then something catastrophic happened, and the world moved and separated. And we look at this and go, oh, that's pretty, that, that's, a, that's a pretty far stretch. Really. You know that we're moving right now. Like plate tectonics teaches us that there's continental shelves. Like the earth is moving all the time over itself. All God has to do is like, boop, speed it up. There you go. That's all he's got to do. So remember Jesus was talking about people were going to deceive you and they're going to persecute you. He goes on in Matthew 24 and he says the same thing. He says, and earthquakes in various places and all these events are the beginning of the birth pains. There's a few more chapters of Revelation to go. Then he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's 6 through 19, or 18, the sun will be dark and the moon will not 
shed its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And the reason they're mourning is because they realize there's no ability to repent now. There's, I, we cannot stand any longer. We're done. It's over for us. Luke says it this way, writes it this way of what Jesus said. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, stars. There will be anguish on the earth among the nations, bewildered by the roaring seas and waves. Isn't it amazing how panicked we are over climate change? Sea levels are going to rise and earth's going to heat up. And I don't know if it's real or not. I don't know. I just know the Bible says it's normal. <laughs> it's going to happen. Then it says... People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud in power and great glory. It goes on and says this. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles and military commanders, the rich and the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. They're just trying to hide from creation itself, killing them. They're trying to hide out from the disaster that they're experiencing. Isaiah said it this way many hundreds of years before. He said, so human pride will be brought low and the loftiness of man will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The idols will vanish completely. People will go into caves and in the rocks and holes in the ground away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. This is the theme of the Bible all the way through. And I don't know about you, but I hope you care enough about your coworkers your friends, your family members to warn them that this is the reality of what our Bible teaches and to tell them that you don't have to be scared of this reality because there's one way and it's a simple way to be saved and that is to look on the Lamb, to come and look and to believe in Him. It goes on and says this. So they're hiding in the caves and then they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? After all the plagues and the earth turns its back, they still won't repent. They would rather be dead. They would rather commit suicide than to face the reality of the circumstances of life. We're seeing that in unprecedented levels in the history of our country right now. The people are killing themselves. The suicide rate is off the charts. Now, is this the end? I don't know. It's already happening. Maybe. Maybe not yet. But this is how the pattern works. Deception, civil war, war, Humanity then, after war, you have all kinds of plagues and diseases because you don't have proper sewage and everything that happens, and so cholera breaks out, and refugee can't, like all that. Ha and then there's a pattern here that goes all the way down. Then the earth starts vomiting out the mess you've made of it, and then in the end, you're just like, it'd just be better to be dead. Can I just tell you, it's not? No. For those of us who have hope, we look at this and go, no, I don't want to be dead. I want to stay in. 
I want to stand and warn people. I want to be the one that's still standing when everybody else is panicked and afraid and running. I want to be the one that's still clinging to God and still looking to heaven to see him come because he says, come and look. Okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to look. I'm in the rock. I'm coming, I'm coming to look. That's the point. Not like these people who are like, well, I just want to be dead and just have it over with. You don't realize that the second death is so much worse than the first. Sure, you can kill your body and it'll be gone, but there's death and Hades coming. Hebrews says this, just as it appointed for people to die once and then after this judgment, so also the Messiah having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to bear sin anymore. No forgiveness when he appears a second time but to bring judgment to those who deserve it. Oh, no, that's not what it says. The reason he's coming again is not because he desires to judge the world. It's because he desires to show his salvation to us and his salvation to the world. He desires to show that you can be saved. What a beautiful picture. He's like, wow, he's going to come again and it's going to be awful. Yeah, but he's just coming again because he wants to bring salvation. He wants to show you how great it is to know that you're saved and have a hope and a future and that you can stand. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel who had the seal of the living God rise up from the east. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were empowered to harm the earth and the seas. Do not harm the earth or the seas or the trees until we seal the slaves of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. Next week, we're going to open the seventh seal. But do you understand the beauty of this passage? God is saying, I can't bring final judgment until I fulfill every covenant I've ever made. I can't bring final judgment and end it all until I show you that I save everyone who cries out to me to be saved. I am the Savior. I will make those that think they can't stand, stand. Those who have been trusting, I will raise them up. It's a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of him saying, look, not quite yet. You know, we get this next judgment. It's like, oh, here it comes. He's like, oh, wait, not yet. I got to save some more. Oh, not yet. Still a little bit more time. Oh, not yet. There's still... This is the pattern. This is you. The reason he wants to keep you standing and he says, no, I'm not taking you home yet is because he wants you to bring people in to say, come and look. That's the only job you get to do on this side of eternity. That's it. The only job you get to do on this side of eternity you can't do on the other side of eternity is asking people to repent and accept Jesus. Once you're in heaven, nobody worries about accepting Jesus anymore. It's over. You either did or didn't accept him. It's, we can worship in heaven, we can fellowship in heaven, we can sing in heaven, we can do every other thing that we're called to do. We can read the Bible in heaven, we can pray in heaven, we can do everything. The one thing we can't do is to tell people about Jesus before it's too late. It's the only thing we get to do here. That's it. 
And John says, it's going to cost you. But I'll help you stand. I will be there with you, standing with you through it. Guys, this is the beauty of our God that he says, I want you to understand the happiness and the blessing and the joy of enduring and standing for me and making me known. Surrendering your life to me instead of trying to find it everywhere else. Can I just tell you? We talked about this at the retreat, sharing our testimonies. And not just your one testimony of how you came to know Jesus. It's a constant. It's, a testimony is just a story of what God's done in your life and then telling people, hey, have you ever considered who God is? That's, that's, that's a testimony. And it could be anything at any time about any subject. Giving a testimony, the two hardest parts about giving a testimony are starting the conversation and finishing the conversation. Opening your face and starting the conversation about Christ and Jesus and trying to get into it and then closing it and saying, you need to make a decision. Hardest two parts of the conversation. Very difficult. Can I just tell you that as it relates to us sharing this story, like John's sharing the story with us, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty. How many times, if you've ever done that, do you start the conversation scared out of your mind? You feel the fear, the trembling, and weakness. We read where Paul said, I came to you, to the Corinthian church. He said, I came to you as Paul, the great Paul, in fear, trembling, and weakness. Paul says, that's how I came to you. I came in fear, trembling, and weakness. Wait, Paul? Yeah. Paul went out to share the gospel in fear, trembling, and weakness. You're in good company. And Paul said, I stood trembling, afraid and weak, but trusting in the power of God. Have you ever gone into a conversation trembling, afraid, you know what I mean? And then you have that conversation, and at the end, the conversation ends, and it feels like you get like an adrenaline rush. Wow. Did I just do that? Did that just happen? Yeah, the Holy Spirit just infused you and you just shared the most important message on the face of the planet with another human being. Of course, that's incredible. But we so avoid it and we get trapped by the original lie, the deception of the fear, and we're so afraid to take a stand and God says, don't be afraid. I'm there with you. Take your stand. You can do it. I'm giving you the story so you know that in the end, no matter what happens to you, you're good. All these things are gonna keep coming and rolling through. It's okay. I've got you. There's no other religion that says this. There's no other religion that presents this. So let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you fully surrendered to him that when you hear holy, 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 you bow and you wait for him to say, come look, stand? Or do you come before God and say, I'll tell you, look at what I've done. Look at how good I've been. If that's your heart, Jesus says, you don't know him. So come before him and surrender and hear him say, come, I've been looking for you. I've been waiting. And then if you are a Christian, can I just encourage you to go out and tell others? Like, do it. It's scary. I get it. But it's going to be really much more scary someday. Participate in that with him. Invite them to the body of Christ, to the elders, and that we celebrate together. There's joy and happiness in this place. That you have a joy and a happiness regardless of the circumstances that happen to you. Because you know the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the clarity, Jesus, that you gave when you explained to your disciples when they asked, are you going to restore, is now the time? And you said, well, 
Let me lay out for you this pattern of what you're going to see. And Jesus, I thank you that you're consistent. You don't make up new things. You just keep telling us the same things all the time because you're God. And for you, there is no time. And so you then repeated to John and said, hey, let me break down what I told you earlier, John and Matthew. Let me break this down for you to see. And so, Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be deceived. We can see these patterns and understand how they start to play in our heart when we start to believe a lie and then we try to find another way to be saved. And we get scared about things that you've promised are going to come. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers, I pray that we would find incredible hope to stand, that we would find incredible happiness in our relationship with you, incredible joy, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we'd be able, like the elders, to look and say, I can't wait until things are made right. But it's just a little bit longer. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling. I pray that you would show them that they just need to stand a little bit longer. And when they get discouraged this week, I pray that they would hear that again and think, I just need to stand a little bit longer. That they have been clothed in white because of what you've done and they can trust you. There is no greater hope than that. And so we thank you for this message. We pray that you would use us to reach our community, that we would bring people in, that this message would not just be a blessing for us to hear, for us to keep, and for us to, uh, to uh, take to heart, but Lord, that we would take this message out to our community in your name.